0: It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT.
1: You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick.
0: Oh, out of the gate, JT with you. Good to have you today on Thursday. Opening day, opening day for baseball. And how does that make you feel? I'd love to take a couple of baseball phone calls today. Uh, Vegas is a vibrant baseball town. The home of Bryce Harper, Greg Maddox, who lives here. Chris Bryant, all the little leagues, college, UNLV, baseball and all of that. If you want to drop in, Tori Hunter, Former nine-time Gold Glove Award winner is going to join us a little bit later on this hour, and I'm watching the Yankees play on a beautiful day. Now the weather was bad. Now it's good. Uh, Cole just gave up a home run in the sixth. They got pulled from the game. It's 2-2, Yankees in Toronto in the bottom of the sixth inning. Hope springs eternal. We have baseball here in front of us. And the biggest story in sports today is that a couple of baseball games were canceled due to COVID which really is mind-blowing when you think about this, considering baseball has been through a lot when it comes to COVID all of last year. What they had to do, think of all the baseball games that canceled last year as they decided to play 60 games instead of 80 or 90, and what happened? So baseball gets underway today, and the Nats opener versus the Mets is postponed due to COVID issues, which is not good news here. After last night, as I was on the air, late last night, Francisco Lindor agreed to a $341 million deal to play shortstop for the Mets. But I woke up this morning to find out that this Mets Nationals opening day game will be postponed again. Major League Baseball said, quote, out of an abundance of caution, the game will also not be played on Friday. The buffer day built into the schedule for opening day postponements. Opening day is a mess. Detroit's playing in a snowstorm right now. Snowstorm. Like they couldn't find a way to get Detroit to play in the south or out west on the road or in a dome. You're going to play Detroit? It's a snowstorm as they're trying to get through that game. But this is a big deal because there are concerns about at least one more positive COVID-19 test with the Nationals after the positive test Wednesday. Sources told Jeff Passan the next game scheduled between the two teams is Friday. Wednesday's positive results come from a test conducted Monday while the Nationals were still in Florida wrapping up spring training on their flight home. There was close contact between a player who tested positive and four teammates and staff members who are now all quarantined. So this is the last thing we want to go through. Paris is shut down today. If you're seeing baseball today, the biggest story is COVID. And a lot of people are very optimistic, including Roger Goodell, about getting fans in the stands. It's going to be tough to do it if there are spikes, and there are spikes going on all over the country here. So I wanted to open up the show. We're brought to you by PT's, best happy hour in town. As you know, with those 64 tavern locations, they also own the Stratosphere. In Arizona Charlie's. So they got great specials going on. You can see everything if you download the P.T.'s mobile app. P.T.'s fuels the monologue as we open up the show. And a little bit later on, I'll get into more detail, but yesterday I was fortunate to go to the grand opening of the Raiders Tavern and Grill inside the M. Resort Hotel and Casino. Charles Woodson was there, Marcel Reese, Mark Bedane, the president of the team, and a lot of members of the media so congratulations for the first uh, Raiders Tavern and Grill. It's a casino property inside the M, and it's open now. So yesterday was the VIP ribbon-cutting and media day, and a lot of uh, individuals from inside that hotel were in there. Now it's open for you to head on out. I would go check it out if you've been to the Raider Image at the stadium. That was really cool. If you've been to the stadium on a tour, you know what I'm talking about. And if you get a chance and you want to do something over the weekend, I would drive out to the M and check out that new restaurant, which is really cool. And two of our partners are involved with it. They got a Remy Martin bar in the back. And in the front, they have a Medello bar for beer and Medello up front. So it was really cool. And had a great conversation with Charles Woodson a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about his wine a little bit later on in the show. Raider Nation, you've been great. We've been on a journey for the past two weeks, and it's been very bumpy. It started off with the trade or the release of Rodney Hudson, and then the Raiders were able to get a third-round pick for him, which was a big deal, and then it uh, went to the move of Gabe Jackson, and Gabe Jackson went to Seattle for a fifth-round pick to play with Russell Wilson. It seems the way Gabe is talking and the way Rodney is suggesting that they want it out, or they're happy to be out, or they're good at their new place, which is fine. You know, these guys are not Raiders anymore. Once a Raider, always a Raider, as their alumni later on in their life. But right now they want to win, and they're both going to teams that they think they have a better chance to win with. So that was a rough week two weeks ago because there were a lot of fans that were freaking out, rightfully so, because they didn't understand what was happening. Ever since then, the Raiders have started to build up via free agency, and they were one of the more active teams in free agency. And that was another thing that confused a lot of Raider fans. A lot of Raider fans were sitting around saying, whoa, what is going on here? I don't understand all these moves. And now we know why the Raiders made these moves. They took the money that they had under the cap, which was limited, and they decided to take it out of the offensive line and spread it around more. They got a backup running back. They went out and got Yannick Ngakwe, who I think is a great pick. And they decided to do some different things this year to try to get better. And I want to find out today after this two-week window if you think the Raiders got better. Because through all the conversation we had, which has been very emotional over the last couple of weeks, and we've had on in Gakway and we've talked to players and a lot of draft analysts this week, I never got around to asking you one really important question. Do you believe the Raiders got better? after all of the movement, because they made a lot of moves. But the fact that the offensive line is weaker, clearly weaker, on paper than it was a month ago, I think that took up a lot of noise. That took a lot of air out of the room. And a lot of people are trying to come to grips with all of that. So from what I've told you from the beginning, I don't think they're better. I don't on the offensive line because they went in a different direction. And they traded three offensive linemen. And if you look at this, all three offensive linemen were pretty good. Trent Brown went healthy, but I thought he was a bust with the Raiders. Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson. Now you're looking at the youth of this offensive line, which will consist of Andre James, who's 23 years old, John Simpson, who's 23, Colton Miller, who was just re-signed to a new deal, who's 25, and Brandon Parker, who's 25. The Raiders also signed Nick Martin, 27, who has not missed a game in three seasons. So as much as we're hearing about Andre James, this guy Nick Martin, who they brought in, who played for Deshaun Watson, okay, it's Deshaun Watson center, he hasn't missed a game in three seasons. So the offensive line shift and what has happened here is bound to bring up opinions. And most of the opinions here have been negative from Raider fans. The Raiders also have veterans Richie Incognito and Denzel Good who could help the younger offensive line. So that's a big topic that over this two weeks, and what I'm doing today is I'm trying to wrap up two weeks because after this I'm going full full draft. Balls out on the draft every day, and I'm really optimistic about the draft, which we'll get to later on in the show. Now the Raiders went out and they signed Kenyon Drake, who is a starting running back in this league, but will obviously be a backup for Josh Jacobs. So that's going to give the Raiders a really good one-two punch. You could say the best one-two punch in all of football. Now, what I like about this move is Drake can do everything that Gruden wants him to do. He's explosive. You can line him up in the slot. You can put him, you know, give Josh Jacobs a break. Give him an opportunity to play, and he could get hot because we saw that last year when Josh Jacobs needed a break. Booker came in and had a couple of big runs, which was exciting to see. But the reason why they brought in Kenyon Drake with Josh Jacobs coming off a 1,000-yard rushing season is a big question mark to a lot of people. And when I talk to John Gruden, he'll address it. I think I know the answer. The answer is simply going to be that he needs to get Josh Jacobs some time off in a 17-game schedule, right? We had a game this year. And then on top of that, He could line him up to do a bunch of different things and goal line in certain situations and hopefully score more points. So I think Gruden saw an offensive weapon who was available, looked at the money that he had and said, you know, I think we could figure this out. We're still going to get players to renegotiate their contracts. We're going to try to get them to redo their deals like Marcus Mariota. And in the meantime, we'll get Kenyon Drake. So he's a proven baller in this league. There's no doubt about it. Since he's been in the league, 955 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns. His speed, he's versatile. He can do a lot of things. So you get him. Then we move on to what they're doing with the receivers, with John Brown. John Brown, to me, really was a unique signing because I think the Raiders looked around and said, we've got to get a receiver here because we're going to lose Nelson Aguilar. And Nelson Aguilar popped off, but not as bad as some of the media missed on that topic, in the locker room when he was frustrated after a loss. Everybody was frustrated after the Miami Hail Mary rip Ryan Fitzpatrick's helmet off. And the voice that I guess was the loudest to the media and the fans were Nelson Aguilar. I would have liked to have seen him come back because Derek and him had really good chemistry. So they decided that they were going to go out and get two new receivers, and they were able to do that. So they added depth at the wide receiver position. So I think that's a pretty good thing overall. I don't think they have a weakness on offense other than the new members of the offensive line that they believe are ready to step up here. So the offensive uh, the offense still has Waller, Renfro, Rugs, Edwards, you know, Sneed. You bring in a good player in Brown, and they got enough. I mean, does anybody think the Raiders need more on offense? Raise your hand and beep your horn or call the show. If you actually think that the Raiders need anything more on offense, I don't think they need anything other than a veteran right tackle or a right tackle in the draft. Then that leads me to the defense. They brought in a whole bunch of defensive linemen that can play on the outside or inside, and they're going to be fighting like junkyard dogs for a bone in the back of the Henderson facility just to make the team. Okay? These guys on the defensive line, other than Yannick Ngakwe, the rest of them are all fighting for a position to play, period. So that's going to be very important because no matter how much time Gruden has with this defensive line, with Gus Bradley, no one is really guaranteed a job, I believe, other than Yannick Ngakwe. Some of the defensive tackles that they brought in, Quentin Jefferson, I don't know for sure, Max Crosby, and Cleland Farrell. Then we move to the linebackers who are all in place. Stop the show. As I told you, I think a tremendous message by Gus Bradley, John Gruden, and Mike Mayock in the first round of the draft, or at least the second round of the draft, is to draft a linebacker and tell the other linebackers that you're all pretty good, but this new guy that we brought in is better than all of you, and we're going to let him play. That, to me, would be hallelujah. I would run down to the stadium with a sign and run around Allegiant Stadium and tell everybody JT was right again. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I want to see a linebacker that comes in who's a no-doubt player. No-doubt player, not a practice squad player, not a special teams guy who's going to run up and down as a linebacker and not play but play special teams. We're done with that. Go get a linebacker who can play in this league and start. I'm optimistic they're going to do that, I just think that Micah Parsons, the linebacker of Penn State, will be gone. But old Jerry out of Georgia is a hell of a player, and Zavon Collins out of Tulsa could be a player that could be gone or available after the Raiders pick. And then finally, the secondary, which you guys, as they say in My Cousin Vinny, you guys seem to be complaining about more than anything else. More complaints come into my show about the secondary and the lack of their ability to cover than anything else on this show. right? Last year, the biggest complaints were the secondary and Trent Brown. Those are the two biggest complaints. What else were the complaints? I don't remember any other complaints. It was Trent Brown, and it was the secondary, and they really didn't do much to upgrade the secondary in free agency, which is quite shocking to me. Veteran free safety, veteran corner. For whatever reason, they've decided not to go down that road which to me is borderline shocking because I think it's a tremendous weakness to the Raiders, and they got to bring in guys. A lot of people thought it would be Richard Sherman. If you thought about Richard Sherman maybe coming in, which I still think is pretty good because his price has been knocked all the way down, like Jadavion Clowney and Ingram and all the other late, late, late free agents who are available. So maybe Mike Mayock is going to do some basement dollar store discount pricing And bring another player in or two, which maybe that happens. And now I know that there are scouts and Raider coaches that are on the road. And they are on the road to try to find out who they're going to draft. And I believe it's going to be right tackle or edge rusher. Someone on the defensive line. Maybe the defensive tackle out of Alabama. But they're going to do one of two things. Get an impact defensive player with the 17th pick. Or they're going to get a right tackle who can play and as I told you, this would be the year that if they gave up a first-round pick to move up, see, they don't have to move up as much as you think because you don't have to move up from 17 to 3, 4, 5, 6. That ship has sailed. That's going to be where all the quarterbacks go, and the Raiders don't need one. But if the Raiders ended up having to trade up from 17 to 11 or 17 to 14 and they had to give up something, I'm all for that because I think they need to be more unique and more aggressive in the draft to get a better player. A lot of the players that the Raiders have drafted recently are not great players. They were brought in to be great. Cleland Farrell, John Abram, Damon Arnett, all high first-round picks, to me, have not played like first-round picks. And you can say that they're developing, and I would agree with you. That's why Paul Gunther was let go, and Gus Bradley was brought in to get those players to play like first-round picks. I would just like to see a first-round pick on defense who's ready to play that doesn't need a lot of coaching right out of the gate other than just told to attack and go make plays and find the football. And when was the last time that happened? So as we have a really busy show today, as we always do, I'd like to hear from you on a simple question that I'm asking today. Did the Raiders get better the last two weeks or not? Because I'm not going to be talking about this much starting next week. Next week, I'm going balls out with the draft. Every day, I'll have a draft expert on. On top of, hopefully, Raider guests and Raider players and Raider insiders. And then we're going to get to the draft. And then I'm going to tap out for a little bit. Go see my mom and dad, hopefully. Go see my sisters, who I haven't seen in 18 months. And then come back rejuvenated for Raiders football. And whatever they ask me that I have to do this year, which I'm humbled and honored to do. All right, so that's what we're doing here. You can let it fly. You can let it fly. Did the Raiders get better or not in the last two weeks? Because a lot of the publications are ripping Gruden, and they're asking, well, wait a second. What happened with the Raiders? They're rebuilding their offensive line, and they're getting a running back. They don't need a running back, and their offensive line was really good. But a lot of those insiders who know, some of them know a lot, but they don't know that Trent Brown was a bust. Right? They just don't, they think the Raiders made a bad decision on Trent Brown. No, they didn't. They made a great decision on Trent Brown. Trent Brown failed the Raiders. The Raiders didn't fail Trent Brown. Trent Brown failed the Raiders, just like Antonio Brown. That was a great decision. Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver in football. Better than Julio Jones, better than A.J. Uh, a, a. Green, better than all these guys. And he, it was a good decision, and then he mentally imploded. It happened. Right? Now the Raiders have got good, solid, fundamental players from Alabama and Clemson, right? Alabama and Clemson. Veterans like Yannick Ngakwe, who wants to be a Hall of Famer. He said that on record. I think a really good bunch of players mixed in on the team, but they got to hit a home run with the draft. All right, with all due respect to Tanner Muse, or Amik Robertson or Lynn Bowden, who didn't make the team for whatever reason, no, no, no. No more of this. Okay? No more of this. There can't be three or four guys taken in the first six t- picks who don't play. Or they're special teams guys. They got to play for the Raiders and they got to start and they got to be really good. Do we, are we all on the same page with that? Or are the Raiders looking to build their practice squad for years to come? I don't spend a lot of time on these practice squad receivers. or all members of the team. We value them. But you don't hear them on my show much. We're looking for the next Cliff Branch. Okay, we're looking for the next John Vela. We're looking for the next Phil Villapiano. We're looking for the next Lester Hayes. We're not looking for guys anymore. No more guys. Because Gruden came in here with a fundamental philosophy, which is really controversial, but I support it wholeheartedly. His philosophy was to tear down the roster and get his guys. Not Reggie McKenzie's, not Jack Del Rios. Some of those guys were pretty good, but they decided they wanted their own guys, and they went down the Clemson, Alabama path, which I'm all in on. But these guys got to play better for Gruden. All Gruden can do is draft them and coach them. The players have to stay healthy, they have to get out of the training room, and they have to have a passion to play during COVID-19 under all these restrictions. So that's what we're talking about. Specifically, did the Raiders get better or not in the last two weeks? That's all I care about today. 702-365-9200. Big Al, who listens on the stream in San Francisco. How are you, Big Al? JT, I'm good. It's about 80 degrees in San Francisco. Really? Yes, it's
2: beautiful today. I'm sitting up on my roof looking at the Golden Gate Bridge taking a lunch break and it's absolutely gorgeous I, I, i'm wearing a tank top hey big al real quickly on this
0: i lived in san francisco and some of the some of the coldest winters i ever spent were summer in san francisco isn't it amazing with that beautiful city at your fingertips that some days it could be 43 raining and cold and then you catch a day like today and you look around it's a postcard
2: yeah you know, on sunday the fog rolled in over the bridge on top of the bay at like 9 in the morning and never lifted. It was sunny like in the (laughs) Mission District four miles away, but it was foggy where I live. Uh, And that's kind of the unique part of San Francisco is that uh, you can go basically from mile to mile, and the weather would be very different. It's filled with microclimates. Today, it's gorgeous. Today's the reason why people live here. If, If people think real estate prices are high, if it was like this 360 days a year, nobody could live here.
0: Yes, I would agree. That's why I don't live there. What do you got? First off, on the Raiders, you know the Raiders really well. Do you buy into this philosophy, spend less on the offensive line, and sprinkle it around to make the better team? Are you into that or not?
2: Uh, I am into that, but I also believe that you build your offensive line not through free agency but through the draft. And that, one, you can build it through the draft, and and you're ending up with players on rookie contracts so you don't have to pay out as much as you would if you're going to bring in a five-year veteran. But in this draft, as much as the Raiders need help on the edge and they need help at linebacker and arguably all across the defense, they better bring in the next Lincoln Kennedy, to play right tackle that we can plug the man in for five years and know that we're probably going to get at least two Pro Bowl, maybe three Pro Bowl seasons out of him. And then at that point, we can we can take a look at it and see what we need to be able to pay him so that we have two bookends Going you know into the late you know 2020s, you know left tackle we already signed Miller for big big number. Let's bring in the, the next Lincoln, put him at right yeah. tackle so we don't have to worry about it. Right tackle has been a sore spot for the Raiders for a long time. You know Brown went down and then we had you know the revolving door with Parker and mm-hmm. Young this year. Um, Good played a little bit over there as well. Let's 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 fortify the offensive line. Let's get some bookends.
0: Thanks, Big Al. Excellent phone call. That's what we're looking for. Analysis from Raider fans about the flagship team on Raider Nation Radio. Really simple because there are certain days that there are no Raider news, and I got Torrey Hunter coming up next to do a baseball preview, Sean Farnham next hour because I do a sports talk show. But I always open it up with the Raiders and or Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights were awful last night. We had the coach on. We had the coach on. Who was real optimistic and then the team didn't show up and Marc-Andre Fleury it was one of the we'll play the highlights later on it was one of the first times I've seen Flurry play where he led in two bad goals I mean really bad goals that he just doesn't do so that was a little bit shocking to me I was a little bit surprised by that as I was watching the game last night hosting my other show I kept looking up going what's going on with Flurry?" Well, Flurry played a lot early. Now, Robin Leonard's coming back. He's lurking to not only play, but to be the starter and not come out of games. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Golden Knights. Opening day in baseball. Here's another topic for everybody here. We have the Aviators across the street from my home, ready to go and walk with my wife over to the ballpark to watch some games. But with COVID issues, they're going to move it back. They're moving it back to start of the season. What do you think about this Raider Nation? We got fans listening in Oakland, San Francisco, back east, all over. Are you optimistic about baseball or completely locked in on football? I thought the biggest news story of the week in the NFL was we're going to get 17 games, which means the Raiders are going to have nine home games. But the goal is to sell out all nine of them, which I think will be very easy because all the tickets were sold, but those tickets need to be available uh, during COVID protocol. And the commissioner said that he plans on doing that. But again, as I watch the real news at night and you see what happened with Paris being shut down today, Paris is being shut down for a week or two, completely shut down. You can't go to dinner. You can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. You have to be in your house or you have to be doing something. So that's a really big deal for me. And we watched the idiots in sports media who didn't see it coming the first time. They're calling this the fourth wave. So I'm hoping everybody's really smart on this. Big Al to Chris in West Oakland. Where else do you hear that? Hello, Chris. Hello, my friend. Always great to hear and follow Big Al. Uh, uh, real
1: quick, J.T., because I wanted to make a baseball call today, but yeah. I'll answer the question about the Raiders. Okay, you, you know my feeling. I am, I'm not going to say whether the Raiders are better or not. I've been there, done that. I'll let you know about October. I will say this, though. If this blows up in the Raiders' face and they struggle with the line next year, struggle to protect Carr, the Wolves are going to be at the gates for Mayock and Gruden at that point. they got to pass this year because of COVID. But to tear down – and I understand Trent Brown – But we did not get better getting rid of Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson. If they have trouble protecting Carr and running the ball next year, there's going to be a lot of second-guessing, and rightfully so, through to them. So, again, like I said, I'm with you 1,000%, JT. I'd love for them to find a way to get Parsons, but they need to get an every-down linebacker that can cover and play the run and then find a ball-hawking safety. And like I said – I'll, I'll, I'll grade them next year sometime in midseason. As far as baseball, I'm going Wednesday, JT. Finally going to get to attend a live sporting event. I've got my first COVID vaccination. The A's are allowing about 12,000 fans in. I've got tickets for Wednesday
0: afternoon right behind the dish. I believe whoa, it's whoa, going whoa. To be whoa hold, hold on, Chris. Hold, hold on, Chris. Did you say 12,000 or 1,200? 12,000. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that. That's a good 12. number. I, I like to hear that. 12,000
1: – well, remember, the orange tier Alameda County is now JT, and I believe that busts it up to, I don't know, 20% whatever. Right. And they're using, the football sta- they're using the football stadium capacity, even though they mm-hmm. don't use those seats to get more fans, whereas the Giants are only going to be allowed to have 6,500 to 7,500 mm-hmm. in – so, you know, again, I'm just thrilled, JT, that since October 2nd, 2019, when they lost the wild card game to Tampa, I haven't been to a live sporting event since, and I'm absolutely thrilled. That being said, all the pundits that have picked the A's to finish third behind the Astros and the Angels, every year it's the same thing. This team's loaded on the mound. They've got – you've got Lizardo, Bassett, Manaya. Fires and um, Frankie Montas. They will have the best starting rotation in the division, if not the American League. Matt Chapman's back healthy. We won the division without him. This could be a hundred win team. I don't think they're going to win the World Series Jt by prediction. The Dodgers will be on a mission this year they're going to win one hundred and ten games and they're going to shut everybody up that said last year was an asterisk as a flute health uh, you know other than health issues i don't see anybody beating the Dodgers, and that doesn't bother me at all because you know how much I hate the Giants and how that drives their fans nuts anyway i'll call the night show tonight. I got a great Roy Williams call i don't want to on too much all i'm going to say on your show is thank you mr williams the man is a mount rushmore type coach he's a titan in the coaching world true class if there ever was one and as a college basketball fan he's everything you want in a coach and
0: if i ever had a son that was good enough to play for him i'd have been thrilled thank you my friend talk to you later thank you chris and i'm happy you're going to an oakland a's game as houston and the a's opening day tonight uh, that game is at seven as the a's And the Astros play. So it's opening day in baseball. I was saying about the Aviators, I don't think we should have MLB in this town. I I don't think we could support it. I don't believe we could support it. We could not, in Vegas, put a baseball stadium where the Rio is right on the 15, turn that into a traffic nightmare. And if the Tigers come in for four nights to play in Vegas and it's 108 degrees, believe me, half the place will be empty. Vegas is next ready for an NBA team. Okay, we have the Aces, we have the Raiders, and obviously a great hockey team in the Vegas Golden Knights. I think we can handle the NBA because we have a lot of convention business when it gets going. And there's a lot of people that will come in for one night to catch an NBA game. I don't think there's a lot of tourists that would be flying in to watch a four-game series with the Cleveland Indians in Vegas. So I love the AAA ballpark. I love Las Vegas ballpark. I'm great with AAA. We don't need baseball here. There's plenty of baseball out west. We're not big enough to support a baseball team for 162 games total and 81 home games. I don't, I've been here a while. If I'm wrong, let me know. 702 365 9200. All right, busy show. Sam and Ash will join us next hour, my friends, our personal injury attorneys. We'll see what's happening with them. Sean Farnham from ESPN on the final four as he's a former UCLA player and one of the best analysts there. And as I opened it up, and we've heard from two of the greats right out of the gate, I want your opinion in the Raider Nation. Let's keep the phones going on Thursday. Did the Raiders improve the last two weeks? If so, why? If not, you know Chris Chris laid it out. It better be better. And I think everybody understands it's going to get better. That was a 10-win team last year, a 10-win team. That had two horrific losses that brought him back to 8-8. I'm expecting better for the silver and black. But does the roster show up and get better? You tell me right here.
2: Straight
1: three.
0: Dodgers have won it all in 2020. Joe Buck on the call, and the Dodgers won it all last year. JT, back with you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, brought to you by Sam and Ash, the injury attorneys I trust. Give them a call, 702-820-1234. Uh, Sam will be joining us a little bit later on in the show. Wanted to spend a little bit of time. We're waiting on Tory Hunter momentarily, the five-time All-Star, nine-time Gold Glove Award winner. What a player he was. So last year with baseball, at this time, there was a big fight going on between Rob Manfred, who was he's the commissioner still, and Tony Clark, who represents the Players Union. And they were fighting at length because they knew COVID was here. And with COVID, after the NCAA tournament was canceled and baseball was pushed back, they had to come together on a plan of how to get baseball going again. And they were putting in all these COVID protocols and talking to the doctors and the scientists, trying to figure it out. And as I said, that was a very difficult job. You wouldn't wish that job on anybody. man. Because at that time, the NFL and Roger Goodell talked about that. He had a lot of runway space. Because the NFL, they canceled the draft, but they had plenty of time from April all the way to August, September to play football and figure it out. And they opened up with no fans. So back to baseball. Baseball, instead of when they figured out their COVID protocol, they couldn't figure out how many games they wanted to play. And I think they you know, should have played about 90 to 100. But then the clock kept ticking, and they stopped negotiating. They wouldn't even go to the table. There was such bad blood. And then they finally came up. I thought 80 would be the number. And I could have lived with 80. But they made it 60. And the second they made it 60 games, I said, I'm out. I'm out. It's a joke. You cannot have a baseball season of 60 games and call the season legitimate. You got to put an asterisk on it. Then the playoffs came. And the playoffs came and it was very entertaining and the Dodgers won. And remember, the Dodgers were down three games to one to Atlanta. They should have been eliminated. They should have been knocked out. And they came back and they won the World Series. So I believe the Dodgers have an asterisk. They won the World Series in a COVID year where they didn't play any games. They played a brilliant playoff, but who cares? They didn't play any games in the regular season. Now we have a full season. We're not going to take away the Dodgers championship. They have it, but you cannot compare what the Dodgers did last year to any other season in the history of baseball. 1988 Dodgers, Yankees dynasty, Red Sox, uh, four recent World Series, Bruce Bochy. Bruce Bochy won three World Series with the Giants. You can't compare this Dodgers championship to any of the Giants because they didn't play enough games. Now they are. So let's see if the Dodgers can repeat, and maybe they can. Tori Hunter, the great legendary baseball player, kind enough to join us in Vegas today. Tori, thanks for doing this. I was just talking about last season and the 60-game schedule, and I was against it. What would you think about it coming into this new season? You know what? I, you know what, the- 60-game season, I just
3: don't understand, you know, um, uh, how these guys play with no fans in the stands. And and uh, and also just, you know, you, you had like, uh, I think it was Tampa Bay, which I think is a really good ball club. And, and now you have the, the Miami Marlins who uh, had a chance to, to play great, really good baseball. But through 60 games, we really can't go off, off of those things. You have some players that usually have great years. Uh, but they had no chance to make adjustments and bounce back in 60 games. The season was so short. We really can't put too much uh, on that season uh, going into the 2021 20, season. So yeah, I wouldn't say is I would definitely put the asterisk on it. But at the same time, the um, in 60 games that average and those those records, they do play.
0: Tori Hunter joins us. What a season for Mookie Betts. What a move for the Dodgers, and he played. I mean, you were a nine-time Gold Glove Award winner. That's incredible to me, the defense you played. Mookie plays great defense, I don't think as good as yours, and he's one of the best all-around players that we've seen in a long time. Talk about the impact that he had on the Dodgers, especially in the postseason.
3: Oh, he had a great impact on the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers, to me, is just a, a, a pretty good all-around team. Uh, they come ready to play. Uh, that's a team you do not bet against, um, and you know with Mookie Betts over there, just you know igniting that team every day, taking the stage uh, on on a day-to-day basis and playing great defense. Um, he was making plays in the postseason, uh, coming up with some pretty good hits, uh, uh, big hits, and and uh, but all around, man, these guys have the starting pitchers, pitchers uh, with Bueller, with Bauer, and uh, of course Kershaw. Uh, uh, starting in the starting rotation. The bullpen, they come in blowing cheddar. We call it cheddar. That's how hard they're throwing uh, coming out of the bullpen. So I definitely think those guys are still the team to beat. They still have a really good chance of uh, uh, doing some damage in the postseason this year and and, uh, and also winning it.
0: Tory Hunter is our guest. Torrey, tell me about San Diego. It's nice to finally see them put some money up and build that team. Tatis and their pitching staff – and overall, now they have a, a lineup with Machado. The middle of the lineup is strong, and they spend even more money on pitching. I like the fact that the Dodgers will have to be pushed. You know, the Giants won three World Series under Bruce Bochy pretty recently, but now it looks like the Giants are fading, and the Padres are going to be that team in the West to push the Dodgers.
3: Oh, yeah, no doubt. The Padres, you know, I think they're tit for tat, you know, with the Dodgers. And Padres, it's, it's kind of like during the season, who's going to get on fire and stay stay on fire? Who's going to ride big mo? Big momentum comes to your town. Who's going to jump on and hold on and ride big mo the longest? And that's what it's going to boil down to with the Dodgers and San Diego Padres because, yes, I can see Dodgers winning over 100 games, but I also can see the Padres winning over 100 with the ball club that they have. They're very exciting to watch, um, and uh, I definitely – think that in 2021 they're going to give the the dodgers
0: a run for their money tory hunter is our guest and tory is here courtesy of bet online check out bet online for the most recent win totals futures and award odds for the upcoming mlb season so i'm a yankee fan and i just don't think they could stay healthy I mean, this is getting insane. Judge and Stanton. Stanton and Judge. I don't know who's going to go down. Who's (laughs) pulling a rib cage? Who's got a hammy problem? who, Who can't run? Who can't slide into third base? The Yankees are loaded from one down to nine. Their pitching is deep with Cole. But do you sense this year that Stanton and Judge can play an entire year and stay healthy? It's hard to predict.
3: Uh, yeah, man, that's, it's all contingent on uh, Stanton and, and, and uh, Judge being healthy. And a matter of fact, every team that's out there, if the Dodgers don't stay healthy, Padres don't stay healthy, they're not going to do what they, they're capable of. And uh, it's the Yankees as well. We all know they have the starting rot- rotation, they have the, the, the bullpen, and they also definitely have uh, the hitting. And, I, you know, contingent on being healthy, that's the key. And if they, if if you might get some guys that are tired and injured, but how long, you know, some guys are out six months and three months that that can kill your team. Um, But, you know, you just got to kind of manage judge and, and, uh, and, and make sure, you know, you give them some rest in between there, because I still think the Yankees, because of just the history itself, those guys are a powerhouse of the team to beat almost every year. They come ready to play with all those fans in the stands. It's giving them energy on a day-to-day basis. So don't never uh, count those guys out. they coming out to play on every day.
0: What was your favorite road, American League ballpark, to play in? I got to say Fenway with the short porch or going the other way at Yankee Stadium. Where did you play your best baseball on the road when you got out of the cab or you got to the stadium and you said, I'm going to have a big day? Man, it, it's, it's
3: crazy because I think Cleveland, Cleveland, you okay. know, it's not the best city to play in? I would say New York uh, is one of my favorites, and Toronto is one of my favorite cities to play in. Um, Just a lot of places to dine, to have a good time, to meet up with the guys. But to play in the stadium, when I knew I was struggling out in in Oakland, and I look on uh, the next series, and it says Cleveland Indians, you're like, (laughs) wow, I think I'm going to get out of my slump when I go to Cleveland. That was my mindset, to play in that stadium, and and uh, Jacob's Field, man, I just enjoyed
0: hitting in there. want I ask you about Mike Trout as we wrap it up, Torrey Hunter's our guest. Now, you played for the Angels, and I understand why he doesn't want to leave. He signed an extension, but he chose to do it. You can't turn down $400 million. But in hindsight, should he have turned it down and went somewhere else to win a championship long-term for his legacy and build a postseason legacy like you did?
3: Hell no. <laughs> <Would> no. No. You- <laughs> There is no way I'm turning down $400 million. You just hope that the team will uh, go and put the pieces of puzzles, those puzzles together to help you uh, get a postseason win. I mean, Trout has been to the postseason once but never had a win in the postseason. I think he deserves uh, a chance to play in the postseason and get some wins. So, uh, no, I think he made the right decision. He came up with the Angels. I mean, it's sunny out there, of course a lot of people on the east coast and even in the central when by the time they're playing it's so late that they give it they get to they miss Mike Trout but right. him playing live and, and getting the chance to watch him play on a day to day basis is tough. So, um, if there wasn't a four hundred million dollar offer out there, I would definitely tell him and encourage him to go somewhere to the East Coast and I know the Yankees is probably one of his favorite teams. So
0: hey, Tor- he made Torian's the right re- decision in that moment. Yeah, you're right about that, the money. I, the only pushback I'll give you on that is 10 teams would give him that money. So he'd get it somewhere else. Yeah. But it, it, you're right. When well, you have he that, had that on the table, so you yeah. just had to take that. Hey, hey, man, I've never had $400 million on the table. If I had $4 million on the right. table, I'd be signing right on the dotted line. Hey, Dory, do you have a sleeper this year? Is it Oakland? Uh, maybe the Mets, if Lindor agrees to the deal. A team that you think could come from behind and be an elite team this year. You can tell us about that. Um, Man, you know, for, for me, I,
3: I, I still, like you said, I think the Padres, uh, mm-hmm. they, they have them second in the, the NL West. Um, I I definitely think they're one of the teams that uh, could have the best record in baseball. You know, all it is is just when Big Mo come to town, can you ride Big momentum as long as you can? If they ride Big momentum, they're going to have the best record in baseball. And uh, so they're not pretty much a sleeper, but I think as far as the best record in baseball, I think the Padres can do that.
0: And finally, you're joining us courtesy of betonline.net. I got the site open in front of me. Every sport, multiple opportunities to bet, from the NCAA tournament to UFC. Uh, talk about that partnership you have with them. I'm sure you're excited about it.
3: Now, I'm very excited about it, man. I just uh, I had an opportunity to come and talk about the game of baseball. Uh, and, you know, I know a lot of people will have a chance to get some insight from a, a major league baseball player like myself, a former major league baseball player like myself who – who's had a lot of failures and adjustments in the game and seen the ins and outs of the game. And uh, hopefully you can take this information and, and, and make a, a, the right decision.
0: Well, you had a hell of a career, man. It's good to catch up with you again. Tori. thanks to Jimmy and everybody behind the scenes there for setting this up. We'll talk to you down the road or during the season. I appreciate it.
3: Okay, JT. Take care, man.
0: All right, my conversation with Torrey Hunter. Hope you enjoyed that. Great player. As Major League Baseball is underway, Yankees tied in the top of the eighth in the Bronx, 2-2. Aaron Judge, bases loaded one out, grounds into a double play to end the inning here. And baseball's here, so we got a lot to get to. With baseball, if you're a baseball fan, wouldn't mind hearing from you today. we got a big second hour coming up. We'll tell you about that with Sean Farnham on a Final Four preview and Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right, right here on Raider Nation Radio. And a quick reminder, the new Raiders Tavern and Grill inside the M Resort is open. Open today. If you want to go check that out, I think you'll have a great time.
1: Twice, oh now it's a loose puck, side of the net, they score! Flurry again makes a mistake, comes out of the crease. Ayafalo goes around him, Fleury even threw his
0: stick behind himself. Ayafalo dunks it in, 4-1 to one Los Angeles. Yeah, that was last night as the Golden Knights lost at home to L.A. Look, it's tough to beat any team in hockey and to do it back-to-back and to try to get on a roll, but those are the games that Vegas has to win if they're going to want the one seed when the postseason begins. And hopefully when the postseason begins, we're all back to, you know, 18,000 with Mr. Foley inside the building there at T-Mobile. But as we take a look at the league right now and the division and what's happening, uh, Vegas is trailing Colorado. Uh, The teams that have 50 points are Tampa Bay, Colorado, the Washington Capitals, and the Florida Panthers. Uh, Vegas has 49. So they're underneath that tier when they were ahead of that tier. So it's going to get to that point now where all these games matter. You know they matter. I know they matter. Peter DeBoer, who was on with us Tuesday, uh, talked about the game last night and the fact that they didn't have a lot of intensity out of the gate.
4: It was one of those nights, you have to give them credit. They, they played with a, a real desperation to start the game that uh, we didn't match, which was disappointing because you knew they were going to come with it. They're, they're fighting for a playoff spot, and they don't want to get swept in this two-game series. And so, you know, we knew that was coming, and, uh, you know, still I, I thought we had a real poor start.
0: Yeah, it was another poor start. And I think that's the problem with this team. They don't clean up the crease in front of Flurry. They don't do a great job. They've never done a great job of cleaning up the crease since they've been in an inaugural expansion team. It's not their strength. And DeBoard talked about last night, they had a couple of guys out that made a difference.
4: For sure. When When you compounded the one man short with Stevie, you know, to go two men short, that has an effect. But you know, I, I think we still put some pressure on in the third. I'm not going to use that as an excuse for why we lost. We, we weren't good enough to, to win tonight.
0: And then finally, Marc-Andre Fleury uh, did not play great. Uh, we'll get into that next hour, why he wasn't great. But next hour is a big one. I want to tell you about uh, the M Resort, the experience we had yesterday with Charles Woodson, Marcel Reese down at the M. Uh, Sean Farnham is going to join us from ESPN. And he's busy. He's in Indianapolis for the final four and a former UCLA player in Salmon Ash because you deserve what's right. It's the JT The Brick Show brought to you by PTs.